Welcome to the Love Raising Us podcast. My name is Erin Flood, and I'm so happy that you're with us. The Love Raising Us podcast is a podcast created for women with a desire to grow individually, learn within a supportive community, and positively impact the world around them. Yes, we're going to do all this great work while we finish the messy job of raising us. Today's podcast episode is something a little different. My new friend Tara is interviewing me for a book project she is working on about legacy, which she'll introduce in the first part of the podcast. So this will be a two-part special, and I just want to say thanks for hanging in there with me this summer while I've been certainly off my schedule. I just appreciate you sharing the show, coming back and listening when new episodes are available, and um, just want to say thank you for your patience and for sticking with me. So my project is I want to do a book on legacy and I use the word legacy. I don't know that I love that word. Um, It's more around purpose, but so as a financial planner and life coach, I feel like most people are always like, what do I want to be when I grow up? what's my purpose? What, you know, and it's this big, huge thing. And, um, and I just, my reaction is I want to hear people's stories of kind of their own path of figuring it out. And even that there's not this necessarily one Eureka thing of, I know this is what I want, right. It's kind of, um, one degree turns of going towards closer to what you think it is, but then you get information and then you may redirect. Um, And also for me, legacy has this, it sounds like once dead, and I don't want that part. It's more how you live your life that creates what people think of you and the life you have and what that means. So maybe you can help me more. (laughs) And and this is part of the project of like getting better descriptions and getting better thoughts that I hope will connect with people. Um, But it is how you can, how people are doing and can do little things now every day that can make a difference, if that makes sense. And so I... I picture it as a chicken soup for the soul, you know, like different people that I want to highlight are doing good in the world. And it can be as small as I just want to, I don't know, like be the neighborhood mom, right? Or like it can be anything to, I mean, I hope, you know, I gave all this money and there's this one guy I have an article on, he gave away all of his money except for like $1 million. And he was a billionaire, right? Like, and that was what he wanted to do. So it can go from like really small to really big and um, just how each of us are different and wanting to hear, learn from other people. So that's part of this too, right? (laughs) Uh, Hearing other people's wisdom. 
Yeah. I love how you said one degree turns. In fact, I feel like there's something with a one degree, maybe in a title, in a book title for you, but, um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, um, it's such an important thing to bring up because I feel like people were so into kind of instant gratification or everything in our life moves so quickly that we, we really miss out on what's possible if we just find joy or find um, a sense of accomplishment or pride in those one degree turns, you know, we want to, we want to wake up and like, everyone wants a, you know, I'm super into wellness as you probably know. And so like everyone wants like a diet tea or a, give me a 30 day to a new body or a new life or a new, I mean, there's literally nothing I know that works that way. I mean, you might take 30 days to gain some momentum toward a goal that you're trying to achieve, but nothing in life that's, that lasts works like that. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, a little bit of my story is I feel like I'm a um, recovering perfectionist and, you know, was always so scared of failing or looking bad and had my own like mental struggles of depression and different things. And so wanting um, to get past that, but also the older I get, the more like I feel what's the rush You know, we take this long term perspective of like, I don't need it now if I get it and I know I'm going to get it eventually, like having that faith. um, I don't know. It's it's one of also those dichotomies of don't put things off forever, but also don't have the urgency where it, it stresses you out, too. Yeah. I've thought a lot about that a lot, especially with like career and just the ages of my kids and things that I want to do and put my time and energy into. And, you know, when I had a career that I really put way too much of myself into and made, made so much of that life linked to how I felt about myself. And so, you know, and not realizing why every day it would feel like not enough and not enough and not enough. And how the longer I tried to live that way, the worse I felt about myself and the more disconnected I felt from myself and all the people that I really love in my life, Um, you know, to going the other way to then having deciding like I it's time I need to walk away from the career. I've completely lost myself in this. I need to come back to my foundation. I need to come back to my family. I need to come back to being the kind of wife and mother I want to be, but like, I really need to come back to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then thinking, what is the happy medium there? And that yeah. it's a hard balance to, to find, especially when I am feeling the squeeze of how quickly this time with our kids goes. I mean, they just turned nine and 12. And so we're like going into fourth and going into seventh grade. And so there's something about like, as soon, as soon as we're, we were into middle school, like it hit me that this is, it's like somebody is pressing fast forward on our life and on this time. And so I think as much as I want these things for myself, I will never, ever, ever forgive myself if I, if I, you know, if I go back to the all or nothing thinking, like this is the only, the only time I'm going to get, you know, to, 
to do this thing in my career, or it's really hot right now to do X, Y, Z. Like, I know I can be good at this. I need to try. I can't go back to, you know, I think there is some um, way to do both, you know, the both and of life, but I want to make sure Mm -hmm. that, that the, the family part and the mother part comes first because I can't get back. And that, that's been a big deal for me as a woman, like, and I'm going to cry. I'm a crier. So I'll put that out there. That I want my family to come first and I want that freedom and flexibility to have that. But all the women I know who do part-time, like, yeah, I love the flexibility And there's so much good for that, but it still can feel like, oh, juggling so much (laughs) and it gets tiring, right? Like, well, because um, it's really, it's really part-time, it's really part-time pay, but full-time work. And I feel like that's the thing. Most of us like are, um, into the fact that like, it's something that's flexible and it's something that's, um, will allow us to have it all, but really it's doing it all, but not having it all. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that, that idea of like, oh, this will allow me to really have all of what I want and need for myself is like a total illusion. And so it, it, at least for me and in my experience, because what I find is that like my personality, my struggle with myself is I want to put all of who I am into all that I do. And so even if it's not the expectation of whoever I'm with, it's the expectation I have of myself. Yeah. Your pressure comes from yourself, not from other people. Yeah. That's how I am too. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And then I go to, I know I'm similar to you. That's why I like reading what you write and listening to your stuff. Um, But it's still like, how can we let go and still, I don't know, still feel useful, right? Like still have that, you know, purpose and usefulness um, without losing ourselves or without, you know, too much pressure, (laughs) I guess. And I guess that's just part of the learning curve. Yeah. And I, I, Totally agree. And two, like I had to work really hard on, you know, I realized that I'm speaking from a position that not everybody can be in, which is that I, my husband can support our family. And I feel very fortunate that that's our situation. It was not always our situation for many, many years. Um, you know, it wasn't, but it, it is now. And it's funny because at first when we really had kids initially, I wanted that to be the case. And it wasn't, we needed both of our incomes and we needed, you know, my husband was building a business and, you know, it's just, it was a very different time of our lives. And, um, you know, at the beginning I was kind of resentful of that. Like, why can't that be what our reality is? And then, you know, realizing too, what a privileged perspective that is, or to even have that resentment. But I think now thinking about it, what my resentment really was, wasn't at him for not being able to provide for our family that way. It was at myself for not, again, figuring out earlier 
the things that I, that I know now that I want or that are more important to me. You know, I think I was more caught up in, um, in, in the outward like titles or approval that I got from having certain positions like publicly or in my career. And, um, yeah. And, and really, and now that I look to, then I was, <laughs> you know, resentment's like such a wild thing, blame and shame and all of that guilt is such a wild thing. Cause it's like such a liar. It, it makes you, um, you know, it really masks, I think what you really are feeling because it's so much easier to just get mad at somebody else than figure out yourself, what you need or what you want or yeah. why it's not working or, you know, it's such a liar. It's all those emotions are like such liars. Um, but I want to interrupt. Sometimes yeah. I feel like if we know it's a liar and we can kind of force ourselves to be like, what's behind this or why am I doing this or feeling that, right? Like, I don't yes. know. That's the hard part because my knee jerk reaction is, yeah, I'm, I go too often into blame or all of that. So yeah, I, well, I totally but, agree. Yeah. No, that's fine. I totally agree. And that's why finally, when I was like, then found myself in the resentment for the opposite way, like, why didn't you think it was important for me to work? Why don't you see the value in my job? Why don't you? And I was like, hang on. He's always <laughs> said from the very beginning, like, this is not about my husband. This is not about our kids. This is not about anything. This is about me deciding what I am going to allow to make myself feel worthy and what I'm going to say, like, are you sure that that is in line with your values? Are you sure that where you're spending your time is actually to your point, like what you want the legacy of your life to be? Mm-hmm. Are you sure that are, you know, and so, and the big thing was for me, I actually listened to a podcast about, um, gosh, it was Ed Milet with, I cannot remember who it was and I'll, but I'll find it anyway. Um, And he was interviewing this couple and he was, they were talking about how important it is to ask yourself, have like a defining question that you ask yourself like during your day. And my big thing for like a year finally was what are you ready to put down that you've been carrying? Like what today can you, what are you ready to put down that you're carrying? That was the question for myself. And I was like, this question is going to change my life every day. I'm going to ask myself like, and I just decided it after listening to that podcast, because I was like, you know what? The right, the quality of my life, the quality of my experiences in my life, how I'm going to remember my life and the quality of how I think I lived it will absolutely be dependent on how I choose to view it. So I have to stop asking the questions I'm asking, which is why am I not relevant? Why am I, you know, why do I feel invisible? Why do I because whatever question you're asking, you will find an answer. You know, your brain mm-hmm. does that. It will lead you. It's like the yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy. What you're seeking, yeah. you will find, right? Yeah. So then I started to be like, well, I'm ready to put down the judgment I have of myself for not financially contributing to our family. That wasn't about him. That was about me, you know? Yeah. And then I started to say, what am I, you know, um, I'm ready to put down the idea that I will never do anything that my kids will resent. Every child resents their parent for something. 
Yeah, every kid. (laughs) You cannot get away from it. Yeah, we're human. We're going to don't even know what it'll be. No, (laughs) and right now they probably don't either. And eventually they'll be like, "Wow, that was really impactful." That my mom always said that phrase to me, or or she didn't pick me up that one time, or she was always late, or which is totally me. Um, You know, like okay. So then, but then when I started to put that down, then it like left room for everything else that I thought I loved and valued, like it left room for me to recognize that when, as a parent, I messed up or did something that afterward, I was like, that was not your best moment, Aaron, instead of letting it pass and hoping my kids didn't notice, then it's like, go have a conversation about it. Yeah. Use it as a learning. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's really where all of this, like my podcast and everything else came from, because I was like, if I am doing this, I know other people are sitting in their houses doing the same thing. And why don't we talk about it? Because this is the hardest part about being an adult. Like we are finishing the job of raising ourselves. We're doing Mm -hmm. the rest of the work, you know? And I think if you want a life that's, that is meaningful to you at the end of it, like you have to continue to invest every single day in, to your point, the 1%, the one degree turn, the one degree shift of, you know, it's not overnight that I woke up and was like, I'm no longer resentful. Isn't that nice? (laughs) You know, it was like these one degree, one degree turns. So when did you start with that question or how long ago was that of what to put down each day? Well, I think I, um, that was probably like, that was probably maybe four years ago. The, Mm -hmm. and I was like, had been about a year out of, um, my job. And I still, I thought that walking away from the career, I would suddenly feel like so imbalanced and so connected and feel so much better. Um, and I didn't you know, in some ways I felt even more lost than I did that final year, you know, and I I guess I should be careful to to qualify this too, because people that listen, like I was the principal of their kid's school and I had good relationships with them. And it's, it wasn't the school. It wasn't, it was the fact that I had gone completely out of balance. I, everything they asked for, I tried to accommodate, which I figured out was like, that is my personality flaw. I want to hit, I want to fit. Please everyone. Yeah. Yes. I want to fit 20 gallons in a four gallon pail, you know, not even a 10 gallon pail, but like the tiniest pail. And I know I will say yes to everyone. And, you know, I will be late to everything and I will, you know, over promise and sometimes underperform because I don't want to let you down. I want to be that person Mm -hmm. for everyone in my life. But I also realize, like, if I continue to say yes to everyone else, I'm I'm saying no to something too, you know. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and then um, I listened to that podcast, and I was like, okay, I need to get back to like what I need to put down that I no longer need to carry. And then the irony is that once I decided I was going to start to work through that, I think you can say you're going to change your life and do these things, but habits are hard to break. Mindsets are hard to break. And so even though I was trying, you know, I still wasn't taking care of myself in other ways. Like 
I had just finally gotten back into working out. I had gained a ton of weight and didn't feel really good. Um, I, I just was not treating myself well in other areas of my life that I know are really important to me and in line with my values. So I still wasn't like really doing what I needed to do. Um, because it feels awkward when you start, right. Or it feels uncomfortable when you start. And to your point, right. Like the habits and mindset are, are there and they are hard to change and shift. I mean, I think that's human nature. All of us, you know, I work with people who are like, when, once I retire, I'm going to start working out, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to, you know, and And just like you said, 90% of us don't because we just keep, you know, doing what we've always done. And even though the outside can change if the inside hasn't, and, and that's a process, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what part of what I love about your story is how open and honest you are. And I think all of us benefit from that. So, well, thanks. Thanks. So I was like, I feel like I had started and I was, you know, starting to say like, Aaron, you have to get out of this, like listen to podcasts every day, find things to read, um, like reconnect with your husband, reconnect with your family volunteer at the kids school, even though like, even that was really hard because I'm going into the place that I literally, I mean, led. Yeah. yes. And like helped rebuild. They had like failing enrollment or, or like dropping enrollment when I came and I left a school in a place that it was flourishing. And so to keep going back into that, it's like going back into the house you sold and your family still living there, you know? It's so different. yeah, like, yeah it's, the house it's, has changed some, but yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, but still I'm like, it's not about you. It's about your kids. Like just get over yourself. It's, it's fine, whatever. Um, you know, when I left on good terms, so it wasn't like it was weird, although I'm sure it was weird for the person leaving the school anyway, like, Oh, Hey, you're back. Um, (laughs) as a mom. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, and then as you know, and I don't know about you, but I'm like, have, have a deep faith. And I feel like as God does, sometimes he says you're close, but looks like you need a little help. Um, and so I had a surgery scheduled. Um, I had struggled with endometriosis for years and just was kind of, um, like done feeling sick to be honest. And so I had a total hysterectomy scheduled in November and was like, Oh, it's going to be nothing you don't, no one has to come. Like it's easy. They do these procedures every day because of course my other like faulty thinking was that I could do everything myself. And I still had not realized that that is what I really needed to put down that I had been carrying. That was it. Like that was the thing. That That was the, the, that was the big thing, but I absolutely that never entered into my mind that that was really the, the answer to the question. Um, you know, I was like very willing to put down like a pebble, but not like the boulder, you know, that I was carrying. Mm -hmm. And so I go, well, thankfully my I knew my parents were like, you know, you're not going to have this major surgery and we're not going to show up. And my husband was like, you're nuts. I'm not going to not come with you to this surgery. (laughs) 
But I was even like, fine, but you have to go to a conference after. Don't cancel your conference. Just just go. I will be totally fine. I'm just going to end up resting in that room anyway. Well, to make a long story short, I bled out on the operating. I started to bleed out in recovery. And the woman in the recovery, the nurse did not recognize it. And so I, half of the blood in my body was pooled in my abdomen by the time they took me up to... Thankfully, they took me upstairs because they couldn't get my blood pressure to regulate. And they're like, oh, it's because she's so fit. She's really healthy. She's so young. Her blood pressure, which I already have like a low resting heart rate and low blood pressure anyway, um, because I had started to like exercise and be fit again. And um, they took me upstairs to see my family and thank God they were there because and in the meantime, both of my sisters had shown up too. So now my whole family's there and they took one look at me and I was like literally puffed up like a balloon because they'd given me, given me so many fluids and everything to try to figure like, oh, she's dehydrated while well, I was bleeding out internally. And they took one look at me and were like, something's wrong. get a doctor. Something is, something is wrong. And um, the nurses were like, no, no, she'll be fine. And as soon as I saw my family, I said, I'm, I mean, it makes me I can get goosebumps, but like I said, I, I'm fading away. You have to help me, help me, help uh, me. And I was like begging them for help. And then I started to code. Like they couldn't oh my find gosh. My, they couldn't find it on anything on a machine. My blood pressure was too low. My um they ran out into the hallway. We need a doctor. They wheeled me out right back into surgery. And they actually something somehow in the meantime my, um, it had, oh my gosh, clotted. I'm like not cauterized, clotted. The bleed stopped. Thank God, probably from all the pressure that had built up from the blood that had Mm -hmm. pooled. But I went back into emergency surgery. They looked for it everywhere, drained all the blood, you know, cleaned me up, but I needed like multiple blood transfusions after that. And I mean, I should have died. There's no reason why I didn't die. And it's funny. You would think that that would be enough, but it wasn't. I still was like, it's really not a big deal. It's totally, I'm fine now. And I think I just could not accept the fact that, and this was like, again, this goes back to doing it all myself, that I was just as fragile as every other life in this world is. And I could not accept that. I refused. You know, I just refused. I did not, I did not want to look at myself like I was fragile. Like everyone else can be fragile and I will be the person for you, but I cannot be fragile. And but now you feel you you say like that was the boulder, but you did did you know that at the time? I guess I feel like none of us know the boulders on us that like, we can't see, right? Like it's there, but we can't see it ourselves. And so how, tell me more of like how you have figured that out. And even, I mean, I don't know. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, so that was November. So then, um, like November of what? Um, because oh it was a while ago, right? I'm like, so it's been three years since my appendix 22 19. I th- so that was November of 18, 2018. Okay, and then so 
you also had a kind of similar story with your appendix, right? Well, or then no? that's the thing. That's what that's what the irony is of all of this is that you would think that first time would have been a wake up call, like that that would have been enough. And the first but it time was, was not. the appendix. The first time was the hysterectomy. Oh, the first time was the hysterectomy. Yeah. Okay. And then, so that was November. And of then 2018. Yeah. And then I worked really hard to like get healthy, but still wasn't like, I just wasn't, um, I mean, ready to acknowledge a lot of what I know now to be the reason why I feel like that happened like what the gift in that was. Mm -hmm. And so like, even that weekend, I mean, I was in the the hospital, I think for maybe four days and then maybe three or four. After the hysterectomy, you were Mm -hmm. in the hospital for like four days. Okay. Yeah. And then I get out. How long was your recovery after all that? Yeah. Well, and then too, then it's like the hormonal everything because I'm on total hormone replacement. And it's like that I just didn't feel well. And I mean, it took a long time to feel normal, even after the blood transfusions, because it's not like they can give you all the blood you lost back. You know, oh you've got to wait yeah. for your body to, to catch up and everything. Um, and so I, 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 you know, was not feeling like myself and, um, but even that weekend I get home and it was, it was, gun hunting for deer here in Wisconsin. And that's like a big tradition in my husband's family. It's like, you know, like a holiday. And so it's really more about like the family being at the cabin and the, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't want the boys and Eric to miss that. So I was like, you guys go and I'll stay here. Now, if you consider the fact of like what happened and really our kids were small enough that my biggest thing was like, don't let the kids know what's how serious this is or what's really happening because, you know, and we, we were both on the same page about that. And I've looked not well. I mean, I was like puffy and scared. Like I looked scary. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like they were old enough to get it, but not really get it. And that's fine. I think that's, that's good. You know, kids are so something, but they, yeah. Yeah. You know, and they, they came and saw me and were like, well, why does mom look like that and whatever. But you know, we talked to them about it and it's just going to take mom some time and funny, like telling them the things like we just, my husband's so good. Like we just have to be patient and mom, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, you know, even then I was like, you guys go, I didn't want to inconvenience anyone. And it's so funny that so many of the questions that I was asking myself that, that really made me not feel very positive about myself or my life about like, why am I invisible or why didn't my work matter or why, you know, all these things. I was really so resistant to when anyone like my husband, especially would try to care for me or would try to put me to the front of our family or importance of Mm -hmm. the situation or whatever. I'd be like, no, 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 no. I got it. I got it. I'm good. I'm it's, it's fine. But almost like you wouldn't let, I feel, I, and this may be my filter, but almost yeah. like you wouldn't let, you couldn't hear him trying to tell you totally what, like you're important and this, you know, what you needed, right? Like, we, yes, because no. I felt like in myself, the only way you could possibly be valuable is if you didn't require, yeah, yeah, you didn't require anything <laughs> from anyone else. Like, mm-hmm. 
the delusion that exists in that, but the, you know, I also feel like there are so many women out there that feel the same, (laughs) you know? So then in March of 2019, we went to visit my father-in-law in Florida for spring break. And I had not been feeling great, but I was still assuming like, oh, it's my hormones or, oh, it's, and honestly, I was like, so used to, um, having abdominal pain and stuff just from like so many years of endometriosis, which led to IBS and all these other, you know, issues. So I was really used to being un kind of uncomfortable all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny that when you live with chronic pain, I think you, you don't, you just think it's normal after a while, you know, you don't even recognize mm-hmm. that it maybe shouldn't be there. So I just thought it was kind of normal. We were in the hospital and like, gosh, my or at the hospital, we were in the airport and like, gosh, my stomach is like really bugging me. And I thought, well, I must be anxious or whatever. Well, we were there for one day and then spent a great day at the beach, had room service at night. And I thought I woke up in the middle of the night and was like violently ill. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got food poisoning. I'd fish from room service. I'm sure that's it. I got food poisoning. So the whole next day I lay in the, in the room again, don't inconvenience anyone, send Eric and the kids to the beach. I'll be fine. Don't anybody worry. I mean, I felt like I was dying, but I had never had food poisoning before. And so I thought, okay. Or, or, yeah. Or maybe once like 10 years before that. Did you and, keep throwing up or no, you just felt bad? Well, I threw up until there was nothing else to throw up. Then I stopped. But like, I, I mean the pain in my stomach, which I thought was my stomach, which was not, was like, you know, pretty excruciating, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to wait till I cannot, I'm going to wait till the very, 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 very last second to ask anyone to like, (laughs) you know, or to admit that I need help. Yeah. So, um, I, that's what happened. So Eric was like, are you sure we shouldn't go to the hospital or that? And I'm like, who wants to go to the ER in Florida in the middle of spring break. Like not this girl, I will be fine. We even called twice actually, because I'm like, ah, this is not helping. Something's wrong. Can they give me something? We even called like the teledoc twice. Nobody mentioned appendix. Um, It was actually my sister who is a nurse practitioner with her doctorate who was like, where's the pain? Are you sure it's not your appendix? You know, whatever. So I had finally like fallen asleep a little bit. Eric and the kids are back from the beach. The kids go to bed. And then at like 10 o'clock at night, I woke up in excruciating pain and again, violently, violently ill. And it, and that must've been when it ruptured because by then I couldn't even stand up straight. I mean, so we had to thank God my father-in-law was in the room down the hall and came down and stayed with the kids. So we didn't wake them up and off I went and you know, that led to, as I've talked about, you know, before that led to 30 days and multiple surgeries, you know, in the hospital and, um, massive infection and, and really all because, all because I, I would not ask for help. I would not admit that, you know, all those things could have been erased if I would have gone in right away when I probably, when I knew that something was probably more wrong than I wanted to admit. Um, you know, but I did, but I didn't. And so I think that was what I sat in that hospital bed for 30 days and literally watched my life 
the people come in and out of these hospital rooms, you know, watch my life take place around me when I could not participate. And I was like, this is it. I cannot, like, I cannot go back to my life and do what I did before. Yeah. Right. And that was it. Then I'm like, I got to put the boulder down. Like I can't, I cannot continue. I cannot continue to pretend like this is the Aaron show and like everything in my life is, is, and this is hard to, you know, to acknowledge, but like that everything in my life is going to rise and fall with me and me alone. Cause the truth of it was the life around me continued, even though I couldn't be part of it, you know? And then I like, I began to see like, look at how capable my husband is. Like, look at what he's doing with, with our kids. Like, look at my parents, how they've stepped in to help. Look at my, my sisters, you know, when my younger sister was in Madison, but my um, older sister, she didn't, I mean, she was in that room every single day. She didn't leave my side for, you know, for weeks, you know, and pretty soon we're back to like the days of like sharing a bedroom when we laid into in beds next to each other, you know? So, um, And then I was like, why am I trying to do something by myself that I actually really don't want to do alone? Yeah. That was it. You know, and it's not like I woke up like a changed person, but that was the beginning of, you know, why I feel like things really happen for us, not to us. Because if like our life changed for the better because of that, you know, like my, my husband was working crazy, crazy hours and. I think trying to do much of the same thing I was, which was, yeah. he felt like everything was on his plate. He had to keep our family afloat. He had to be like the one in our life to make sure that everything, everything kept like turning and ticking. And, and then he said, I came into our house that first day, you know, I'd been in Florida for nine days home for one and then right back um, to St. Luke's and Milwaukee for another 20. But He's like, after that second time, you know, I'd already dealt with like coming home from Florida without you and feeling like I was like abandoning you. Thank God for my mom. She flew down so that he could get the kids home. Um, But he's like, I came in and sat down at the table and put the kids to bed and looked around the house and your stuff's laying all over. And he's like, I just put my hands in my head and was like bald at the kitchen table and was like, I, I don't want to you know, I don't want this life to exist without you, but we're like moving in these parallel lines, you know, we need to go back to doing this together. Like, you know, and he's like, I've lost perspective. He's going to work at, you know, 7am and he's not home till 930 at night because he's working that hard. And he's like, I've lost perspective. Like, what am I doing? Because this life and I could build this whole thing. Yeah. And without you, it's nothing. Like, I don't want to miss this, mm-hmm. you know? So I feel like it's funny how, um, at the time I'm like, I, what, no, no, like this, this cannot be me. I mean, I've been argued with the surgeon when she first saw me that first day, when I walked into St. Luke, she's like, based on your symptoms, you're going to be here at least two weeks. So I need you to mentally get in. I mean, she was like very cut and dry. I need you to mentally get ready for this. And I was like, No. <sighs> You like almost like you must have me confused with someone else because no, I am not going to be in here for two weeks. Yeah, I cannot be away from my kids anymore. 
this cannot be me. I will be fine. Tell me what I have to do. And she's like, oh no, no, no. You know, and it turned into 20 days. So, you know, it, it was every day since then. I'm like, I know, I know what can be taken away in the blink of an eye. And I am Mm -hmm. just as fragile as everyone else. And like, it's okay. It's okay. In fact, maybe it's better because I think fragile people feel things. I want to feel this life. Like I want to, I want to feel all of the, the joy and the connection and all of the good things that exist. And you miss out on that when you're trying not to feel any of the disappointment or the, then you just end up being numb, you know? Yeah. But sometimes when the bad feels so much, I agree with you, like to feel the highs, you have to feel the lows too. And even that contrast, but sometimes, and I think that's also part of our issue as a society is nobody wants to, almost feel that or be that uncomfortable. Yeah. But then I even started to like, like, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I even started to like, look at the things my kids were going through and, you know, it was interesting. Like it was hard for us because after a little while, I mean, they were emotional. It was hard for them to even see me on FaceTime because then after they would be fine until they saw me. And then it would be more tears after for like, so how old were they then? I mean, not that long ago, I guess. Um, No, they were um, seven and, oh no, it it was kindergarten. They were in kindergarten and third grade. So they were five and eight. Can that be right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that has to be right. Yeah. Yeah. They were five and eight. They were just about to turn. um, Yeah, that's right. They were just about to turn six and nine, you know, so they were little enough that, you know, like, and two, like, is she ever coming back and Mm -hmm. what's happening? And, and for them, that felt like a really long time. Oh my gosh. A million years. Yeah. But then I would, I would see stuff, you know, it's funny how like, again, I feel like that was the gift in it was like as the torture. I mean, it would, it would like physically hurt to be away from them, you know, but afterward, you know, when I was home again and I would think about that time, I would think about like the way that they, without my own, like cleaning up around them or doing the laundry or making sure we were getting to practices or whatever it was, or worrying about my own work or my own stuff being stuck in my own head. I would watch them work through things and see how the struggle was part overcoming the struggle was part of the pride for them. It's what made them grow and feel such a a confident sense of self. And I'm like, that's what we've lost. That's what as adults, that's, that's why so many of us feel, I think lost and lonely for ourselves is because we really do in a lot of cases, everything we can to avoid struggling. Mm-hmm. We swoop in to yeah. help, you know, help, but then they don't get to learn it on their own. Yeah. And, and we do it to ourselves. Like, okay, I might need to know that what's best for me is to, is to exercise every day, but 
but I'm sore. And then I'm like, well, I'm kind of tired. And then, you know, or I really should do X, Y, Z instead of taking that 20 minutes to do that for myself. Well, those are all just excuses because we all know what the truth is. But so many of us, when it's not part of our habit day to day are unwilling to get uncomfortable for two weeks to get into a good routine, mm-hmm. you know, or if I know, like I just wrote some, I just posted about it yesterday. Like I know that my husband and I need more time together. We need more dates. We need more of that. Mm-hmm. I saw it. Your picture was beautiful. Oh, thanks. But there are a million reasons why we're like, we explain away needing that time. Like we shouldn't need it. We need to you know? prioritize it. Yeah. Like, but to your point, but we come up with excuses or justifications, right? Yeah. And just because yeah. it's not part of our normal routine and our brains like, don't break the routine. Don't break the routine. Even though like, that's so good for us to, to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the, so I also had my appendix out when I, so I think I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old and it, we were at the beach visiting friends and kind of similar to you, I went to lunch. It was mother's day weekend. So I went to lunch with my really good friend And then we were watching the Kentucky Derby and I started not feeling well. And then I threw up and then I thought it was something I ate. And then I just kept throwing up and her daughter had had a stomach bug. So she's like, oh no, you got the stomach bug, you know? (laughs) And so, but I kept, even once there was nothing more there, I just kept dry heaving and dry heaving and dry heaving. And, and finally at a certain point, I was like, even if this is food poisoning, I was like, you have to take me to the hospital because I think I'm, I can't. I can't handle this anymore. And I knew I just like, I reached that point, but we, so we, we were in ocean city, New Jersey, and um, we chose not to go to Atlantic city because I was like, I don't want to go where all the like drunk, crazy kind of like you're right. Spring break. I'm not going to that hospital. So we went to this like really small, the closest hospital, really small. And our one friend who works with hospitals, like that was the worst decision of your life. And so we went and they wanted to make sure it wasn't like um, my ovaries or something. And so I had to like I I still, I, it was like a giant, you know, like two liters of swamp water. Did you, yours already burst. So (laughs) I guess it was different, but I, I mean, I've been throwing up for hours and I was, and they said, you have to keep this down for 30 minutes so we can do this. Oh yeah. It was probably barium. They wanted you to drink it. So you glowed. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it was sheer force will. Like, I still don't know how I did it, but I kept it down. The second I came out, I like threw up like nothing I've ever seen. And they didn't have a surgeon. So they were like, hopefully it works tonight. And so they had me wait till the morning. and, And thankfully mine didn't burst. But they did the surgery in the morning. And thankfully, we were with friends who could take care of our kids. But it was 
awful. Like, and my, my GP was like, that's so weird. Like most people at your age don't have their appendix, you know, like, and even the way it manifested, she was like, it's very bizarre. I was like, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I swear it was. <laughs> oh my gosh, I bet. Yeah, I swear mine was because I had bled out and there was some other something in there that, you know, I'll forever yeah, believe that, that was so, connected. Yeah. But the other perspective is God was trying to tell you something one time. And he, had to, he gave me a gentle knock knock <laughs> and I didn't listen. So he was like, and push. <sighs> Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. So I didn't even know the first story. I only know the appendix story. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's oh, wild. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't listen. So sometimes we just need more. Thanks for listening to part one of this interview. Part two really dives more into Tara's content for her project. Um, much more specific questions about how we arrive at our purpose. And I hope it's something that you find you will connect to. Um, Don't forget if you enjoyed today's show to share it with your friends, pop into the app and leave it a five-star review. And of course, comments about why you love the show are really helpful as well. We will be back to our regularly scheduled every two week podcast dropping Tuesday mornings. Thanks for sticking with me and for being flexible again. I really appreciate you and your patience this summer and look forward to connecting with you in the next episode of Love Raising Us.